Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. Uh, we're also going to celebrate communion this morning. I forgot to mention that. So if you are worshiping with us at home, we do invite you to prepare um, with what you have on hand to, to partake of communion together. If you have the juice or the bread, we will uh, finish this sermon out with communion tied into it. So Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11 is where we are going to start. And the sermon is called Foolproof Part 1 because Solomon has a few sections of Ecclesiastes where he shares some wisdom principles. Now, you know he wrote like most of the book of Proverbs, so he, is, he asked God for wisdom. God gave it to him, so he's like the wisest man alive. So, in Ecclesiastes, there are portions where he just bursts into these wisdom principles. I want to show you a cycle, though. Here's a cycle of what he has to say about wisdom. Do we have that slide? Okay. Uh, we have to know how he cycles through in the book when he talks about wisdom, or we're going to get really confused. These are, these are what's called interpretive principles. Throughout Ecclesiastes, here's what Solomon says. Seek wisdom. By far, wisdom makes life better every time. Though the search is endless, you're never going to get to the end of it. Because it gives great advantage, it will help you immensely in life. But there's no guarantees. You're still going to have a house fall on you every now and then while you prepare for eternity. Here's what he says. Seek wisdom, though the search is endless, because it gives great advantage, but no guarantees, while you prepare for eternity. Now today, the reason why I'm showing you this is because he focuses on seek wisdom, but he also focuses on no guarantees. And that might actually make you say, well, then what's the point in seeking wisdom? Nope, then you're missing the point. The point is the, whole, the fact that there's no guarantees actually means you should seek wisdom more but when he camps on that, you're like, what is he saying? And it can get confusing if you don't recognize the cycle. So I wanted you to see that first and foremost. In Ecclesiastes 9, um, verse 11, we have Solomon highlighting the harder things in life today, how life is unpredictable, but how wisdom can make an impact even when you are in that season. And let me ask you this. Are you in a season of life right now where you're having a hard time figuring out what's going on? Frankly, unpredictable things, unsettling things, unfortunate things have happened to you or a loved one. And you're like, why has this happened? Especially if you feel like generally you're in a good place with God or they're in a good place with God. And it just seems like something's happening that shouldn't be happening. Do you feel that way? If you feel that way, I want you to know that the book of Ecclesiastes is one of those special places in the Bible where Solomon reports on just how the world can be unfair or unfortunate. There's a lot of empathy in the fact that he talks about life honestly. And you're going to feel relief knowing, oh, the Bible knows about my life. It doesn't tell me, oh, if you would just do everything God wanted you to do, you'd never, ever, ever run into trouble again. No, 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 that's not what the Bible says. There's actually going to be times that are really hard. And you don't see it coming. You don't know why it's happening. That's what we're going to focus on today. And we're especially going to learn how to foolproof your life once that trial comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes where we learn about the exceptions in life, when life doesn't seem to make sense, when we can't pre predict where we're going or understand what happened in the past. And I know there are people here online who feel so disoriented. They don't know why. They don't know why. They don't know why. And they want answers, and I pray that your word would give them some relief, at least that the Bible understands what life is like down here under the sun. But also give them hope. Give them hope and exhort them to walk the wise path. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11. It's kind of cool. You'll remember this when life gets hard because it's 9-1-1. Ecclesiastes 9-1-1. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. He's describing life under the sun. Under the sun means life under the curse of sin. Life at ground level. Life as it's readily observable, unfair, unpredictable. First thing you can write down is this. Life is uncertain and full of peril. Life is uncertain and full of peril. And the Bible is very aware of this problem. What does he see? He's walking around. He's looking. He's learning. What does it mean when he says the race is not to the swift? Usually, the opposite is true. The battle to the strong, it usually is. Bread to the wise, riches to the intelligent, favor to those who know what they're talking about. Uh, see, what he's doing here is he's saying that he's, as he's walked around on planet Earth, he's observed, he wrote Proverbs, he's observed the rules, but he's also seen the exceptions. And now he's talking about how the exceptions are all over. And he's trying to figure out what to do with that. Now, I'm a runner, I like to run, so... Here's a picture of the Chicago Marathon. I actually ran the Chicago Marathon several years ago. And there are like uh, 40,000, or maybe there were, there were more. I think there were like 80,000 people who ran the Chicago Marathon that year. Now, the runners in the front are the fastest runners, and they always win, okay? Usually they're Kenyans. They give them primary starting spots. They've got the best shoes, and they run, and they win. Here's another picture. And um, me in the middle of the pack, I've got no shot, okay? I got passed by a pregnant woman. I got passed by a clown juggling balls. They've got, they've got garbage runners who run with a garbage bag picking up trash. I got passed by the garbage man, okay? So, uh, and I think I have one more picture. But here's the thing. I did finish, so there. Now, here's what's funny, though. I came in like 41,000th place, When's the last time you came in 41,000th place in anything? My point is this. The fastest runners actually always win. So what does it mean when Solomon's like, not always? What does that mean? Well, fundamentally here, he's talking about how when calamity comes. He'll use the example of war in a second. When calamity comes, when hardship comes, when a bad thing comes that hits the whole nation or city, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're wise, doesn't matter if you're a fool, doesn't matter if you're athletic or not, you can't escape trouble and hardship. Generally, that's what he's saying, but specifically, he also goes on to talk about death. He talks about an, an evil time and a snare, and he goes on to talk about how your time is coming. What that means is this the longer you live, the more you realize that misfortune is going to find you, and ultimately, death itself is coming. And it doesn't matter what advantages you have. The race is to the fastest, but hey, give it time. You will see the exceptions. Uh, The battle is to the strong. Here's another picture of the battle, right? And battle, usually the better prepared army with the better technology wins. Not always. Uh, There are exceptions to the rule, David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath. 
So there's no guarantees. Life is uncertain and full of peril. Bread, the wise, sometimes the wise are not eating. This seems to contradict what the Bible says, that the Lord has never allowed his righteous ones to go begging for bread, right? But there are also times in the Old Testament when cities were under siege and horrible things were happening because people didn't have food. So there's the rule and there's the exception. As a rule, the fastest runner wins, the strongest fighter wins, the wise, the intelligent, they actually do better as a rule. But life is full of exceptions and it's full of uncertainty and it's full of peril, no matter what your advantages are. Hey, think back over your life. Haven't you seen this? Haven't you seen this? Haven't you seen a reversal of expectations? Haven't you even had things in your life where you're like, whoa, that's not the way that should have played out. I prepared for that test. I studied hard. You know, I, I had a budget. Uh, and then suddenly you're scratching your head like, how did this not work? Life is uncertain and full of peril. He shares a few things here that apply to everyone. Time and chance happen to them all. Jot this down. Time changes everything. Time changes everything. For a while, those principles seem true. For a long time, you seem to actually get by on doing the virtuous thing. Give it time. Give it time. The longer you live, the more you see how uncertain life is. How uncertain and unpredictable people are. Relationships can be. Give it time. Just wait. These wisdom principles of virtue, the way the world is supposed to work, they're not always true. And the longer you wait, the more you will see the exceptions to the rule. There's a season for everything in the Bible. Earlier in Ecclesiastes, he talks about how God's going to allow everyone to go through all of the seasons of life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We went through the book of Proverbs, or uh, Psalms last year. Check out this picture. And we, we used the four seasons as a way of describing faith. You will have those summer years where everything's going well and life is as it should be and God makes sense and the world is just working and people are behaving. That's summer. But then fall comes and the winds change. Suddenly there's things falling down and the weather's colder and you're not sure what the future's going to bring. And then all out winter arrives and you are stone cold. You don't have hope. You feel dead inside. You... Nobody's around. You, you just feel in despair. And, and you look around and just there's nothing on the branches. It's bare. It's ugly. It's gray. It's, you don't want to go outside. And then spring comes. And God revives your soul. And he returns your favor. And he blesses you. And now you have a new perspective on him and everything around you. Everyone is going to go through every season. It's a guarantee. Time changes everything. And in the end, your time will come. When it says man does not know his time, that specifically is zeroing in on your time to depart. Your time when a misfortune comes or, or, or a diagnosis comes and it is your time to depart. That is on the way. It says here, uh, time changes everything and the seasons continue to go and time is going to show us that life is uncertain and full of peril. Uh, jot this down. Chance creates many surprises. Time and chance happen to them all. Uh, the idea of chance generally is unpredictable. Things, that, things are going to happen that are unpredictable. But specifically here, it means perilous things. But we'll focus on the chance part of it first. Things in your life will be, wow, 
unexpected, wow, unpleasant, wow, that was random, huh, that shouldn't have happened. Then there are times when what is supposed to happen does happen. If you've been watching March Madness, that, that's just the way it works, right? There was, there was an upset, uh, you know, last week, there was an upset, that shouldn't have happened, that shouldn't have happened, that's never happened before. Uh, and then when you get to the final four, though, you've got kind of the stud teams that belong there, and, you know, and there's one who should win, and then the other one's pretty good, too, and um, less uncertainty the longer you go into it. But chance does affect everything. And maybe you're stumped or perplexed or mystified or baffled at some things that have happened in your life, and you're like, what are the odds? Maybe you're even starting to feel unlucky. Do you feel unlucky? Like, all right, there's like an unusually high number of things that are happening to me. Chance is happening to you, am I right? You ever have one of those days where you like you trip falling out of your front door and then you kind of get into a fender bender and then, you know, your lunch, they forgot your cheeseburger in the bag and then dinner is burned and by the end of the day, you're like, I'm cursed. I'm cursed. There are actually unlucky people who have had so many bad things happen to them that people literally think that they are cursed. I've, I've, I've got a few of these people I'm going to tell you about. They're going to make you feel really good about your problems, okay? Here's a picture. Uh, this is uh, Frane Selak, a Croatian music teacher. There we go. And uh, close calls. He's actually age 90 now, but he's had seven brushes with death. Seven brushes with death. Now, does that make him the luckiest or unluckiest person on the planet? Escaping death seven times. Close calls included a train crash, being sucked out of an airplane door, surviving a bus crash into a river, two car fires, hit by a bus, and almost fell 300 feet. He was also involved in a driving accident. Whoa! But hey, here's the good news. He actually won the lottery once. Well, which is it? Is he lucky or is he unlucky? We've got another picture here of Roy Sullivan. Yep, there's Roy Sullivan. Maybe you've heard of him. He's one of the most famously unlucky people on the planet. He's been struck by lightning seven times. Seven times. Maybe you don't want to sit out with him on a stormy day. He's called the human lightning rod. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records for surviving the most lightning strikes. <laughs> there was a particularly unlucky period when he was struck four times in five years. Between 1969 and 1973. My goodness, time and chance happen to us all. Then we've got one more guy. Uh, this man, we'll put his picture up on the screen. Uh, his name is uh, Sutomu Yamaguchi. He's the only officially recorded survivor of both atomic bombs detonated in Japan. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, he survived and lived to the age of 93. Wow, wow, wow. Time and chance will happen to us all. Chance creates many surprises that will leave you asking, is God sovereign? If so, am I cursed? How can this happen? What are the odds? Now, this is just life under the sun. This is the way life is. You will have those years where things seem to work the way they're supposed to, but then time and chance will happen to you. That's not the time to throw your theology in a blender and say, well, then maybe I can't trust God, or maybe he's just rolling the dice. The Bible is warning you. Time and chance will happen to you. You'll go through all the seasons. You'll go through reversals of fortune. That does not negate God's goodness or power. He's actually good enough and strong enough to allow it and still walk you through it. But it is coming. Time and chance will happen to us all. 
Jot this down. Misfortune will ruin our expectations. Misfortune will ruin our expectations. Life is uncertain, full of peril. Time changes everything. Chance creates many surprises. And misfortune ruins our expectations. Things can go wrong. Things can go very wrong unexpectedly in this world and in your life. It can go wrong relationally. A person just becomes a different person. You didn't see it coming. And go wrong medically. Year after year, they give you that checklist while you're waiting to see your doctor. Nope, 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 nope. Hashtag blessed. And then suddenly there's a box you got to check. And it's a big one. Things can change financially. You thought you were up, suddenly you're down. Many things will go wrong. There will be periods in your life where it seems to tip toward misfortune. Time and chance will happen to us all. And then here's what you'll feel like. It says you'll feel like this. You'll feel like a fish caught in a net. You'll feel like that. Trapped. Helpless. Cheapened. Not valued. Not respected. Just caught in the net. Here's another picture. You're you're just, just captured by calamity. You're so confined to this being roasted alive, you can't get out of it. Why is this happening? Or you feel like a bird that's been trapped in a net. Birds are supposed to be up in the sky. Supposed to be way up there. What am I doing way down here? I can't go anywhere. Misfortune will ruin your expectations. It will make you feel like a helpless victim in a volatile world. I'm glad the Bible is honest about life. I'm glad that God understood. This is God breathed. I'm, so I'm, I'm glad that God breathed Ecclesiastes 9.1.1 <clears throat> into this, because that's my, that's my world. That's your world. That's our friends in Ukraine. That's our friends in Ukraine. Caught in a net. Where are we going to go? Hundreds of thousands of people trapped in a city. The good, the bad, the wise, the rich, the powerful, the poor. Suddenly the evil day of calamity has come. They're like fish in a net. They might be tempted to feel like therefore God has forgotten them or life has somehow gotten off track. The Bible warns us that that is going to be life down here. Well, then what? What do we do? What are we supposed to do? Well, first we have to just understand this is the world and we have to get ready for it. Number one, life is uncertain and full of peril. Number two, jot this down, so be wise. So be wise. Wisdom is an imperative in a perilous world. We must, especially when things are going wrong, we must double down on the wisdom. And listen, that's the time when we most want to make foolish choices, right? When, when suddenly the, the person that we thought loved us is just blowing up, we feel like blowing up too, right? When the finances are going crazy, we feel like doing crazy things, freaking out. We have to be wise, especially during those hard seasons. Solomon goes on to say this, Verse 13, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. Now, this is horrible. Tiny little city. And this great king comes with great siege works. It's like worst nightmare in the ancient world. You're a smaller city. You've got little walls, and this great king comes, and he's apparently bored, and he uses everything he can to totally ruin your city. Death, death is coming to everyone in this town. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And by his wisdom, he delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. 
But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. He shares this story, and he doesn't tell us the name. He doesn't tell us the place. He just, he knows about it. It really happened. There was a small town. Big king comes. Big army comes. Siege works. And one wise guy goes out there. And this doesn't indicate that he had some battle plan, right, where he, like, surprised them. He went out there, and with his words, with his words, he turned that king away. And the army left, and everyone in the city survived. Solomon heard this story, and he was like, whoa. And he starts thinking, and he's like, See, this is what I've been talking about. The battle was not to the strong. That king didn't win because this one wise, poor, didn't have anything. He goes out. And it was the poor dude from town who knew some stuff. He's not the one who's supposed to go out there and go, all of this is wrong. But he goes out there and the whole army leaves. Conclusion, wisdom is amazing. So in the uncertainty and peril of life, he does come down on being wise. Some scholars think that He's actually taking a pessimistic view of wisdom here. Well, nobody remembered the wise person, so what's the point? They're they're missing the idea. He's clearly saying things here about how wisdom is better. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is better. He is also saying, but there's no guarantees, right? There's no guarantees. He's saying both things, and he can say both things, and that's what he's doing. He is saying, be wise, and he is documenting the power of wisdom when calamity comes upon you. What is wisdom? It's more than book smarts. It's more than life hacks. Wisdom is, the definition that I've heard before, is truth applied to life in light of experience. It's truth. It's God's truth. It's lived out. It's applied to life. And it's in light of experience. You've learned the nuances of how to apply it. Ecclesiastes 12, 13b says this, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 8.5 says this, Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Hey, be wise. Are you going through some hard things in life right now? Do you feel like a wave has knocked you off your feet, like your head's under the water and your toes are up in the air and you don't know when you're going to be right side up again? Be wise. Do you feel trapped? Like, people are getting away with it. Like, you can't believe the... Hey, be wise. Especially if you feel like your life is surrounded and under siege and you've got no way out of this, be wise. You're going to be tempted to not be wise. You're going to be tempted to lose it, to freak out, to bolt, to disbelieve. You're going to be tempted to doubt. You're going to be tempted, tempted, tempted. And listen, be wise. Jot this down, because wisdom is better than power. Because wisdom is better than power. What an incredible story. There's great kings coming to slaughter the whole town. One guy goes out there. I love that Solomon doesn't share what he said. Because nobody remembered it anyway. But he does know what happened. Solomon is writing in the Bible about this guy. I don't know what his name was. Maybe his name was Tom. He got into the Bible. Not his name. He saved the whole city. We're supposed to see that and say, man, I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be wise on my most perilous day, just like this guy. 
His words pacified and turned away the wrath of a great king. Proverbs 16.16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. If I came to you after church and said, Bar of gold, book of wisdom. You should pick the wisdom. Better, 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 better. We don't think that way though, do we? You want the bar of gold. See, this right here, this is a mountain of gold. See that? Whenever you open this book, especially when you're going through hard times, you're a treasure hunter. You get in there and you find out what God wants you to do. You're finding better than gold. Be wise. Jot this down. Wisdom averts great disaster. Be wise because wisdom is better than power. And wisdom averts great disaster. It says here, wisdom is better than weapons of war, verse 18. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better. That guy who's got an army barking orders loud. Everyone's got to do what he said. Get the calm person at the table making sense. Better. Better, better. You might want to storm out there and command the respect you deserve, and I'm going to get what I... Nope. Better than the shouting of a ruler among fools is the words of the wise heard in quiet. And wisdom averted a great disaster here. The city was saved. Wisdom can save you from much agonizing pain. I know your house isn't going to be surrounded by SEAL Team 6. Okay. You're not going to look out the window and be like, so it's not going to be the same problem, soldiers surrounding your house. You will have big problems, and you're going to choose wisdom or folly. If you choose wisdom, it will save you from great disaster. Many times, it will happen at work where you will have the wise path and the foolish path. It will happen with your words where you will have the wise response and the foolish response. It will happen in traffic, where you will have the wise response and the foolish response. It will happen. And we know the agonizing pain of foolish choices because we've all made them. Especially when your life is suddenly shockingly out of control, wisdom will avert a great disaster. Are you committed to being wise? Be wise. Wisdom is better than power. Wisdom averts a great disaster. Jot this down. Do it even if you're not noticed or thanked. Do it even if you're not noticed or thanked. Well, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go into work and I'm going to be the nice guy. And they're going to take advantage of me. And everyone's going to be losing their stuff and saying terrible stuff. And I'm just going to be nice. And then things are going to calm down. And everyone's going to be like, nice again. And no one's going to remember that I took the high road. Yep, welcome to the world. It's going to be thankless. People might not realize what you've done. You might even be scorned, excluded, or forgotten because you say what is right and true. Because you're making sense. It might cost you something when you certainly take a biblically moral stance on things that is wise and upright. If a policy is being created, your voice is heard and it will be mocked. People will be ungrateful for the wisdom that you live by. When there's crisis and chaos in your life and you take the high road, often people will have no clue 
what their alternate life could be if you hadn't taken the wise road. Isn't this true of your kids? Sometimes kids can be ungrateful. Am I right? And often kids have no clue if you made a wise choice for them or for the family. They have no clue what you just spared them from in, in life. Right? They have no clue. You could sit them down and be like, here's the big choice we had to make. Here's the choice we made. Here's how your life would have been terrible if we didn't make that choice. They don't know. They don't care. They don't thank you for that. Right? Your kids aren't going to thank you if you go to work and bite your tongue and don't get fired and come home that day. They're not going to be like, thank you, Father. Thank you. They don't know. They don't care. It's just one example of how people maybe won't know or care about you walking the wise road. You might see somebody go total destructo mode, get so childish and immature, and they get to say anything they want. And there you are, staying low drama, patient, kind, respectful, reasonable, deliberate, then it all rolls over, and you kind of spared the whole situation, and nobody cares. Am I right? Has that happened to you? Nobody thanks you. Even if you're not noticed or thanked, be wise. Be wise. The truth of this guy is, even though he had been forgotten by his entire town, God remembered him and he's in the Bible. Friends, that's powerful. That's really powerful. Number one, life is uncertain and full of peril. Time changes everything. Chance creates many surprises. Misfortune will ruin our expectations. Number two, so be wise. Because wisdom is better than power. Wisdom averts a great disaster even if you're not noticed or thanked. Number three, jot this down and don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. So he talks about wisdom and he says it's better than, verse 16, better than might. Verse 17, better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Verse 18, better than, better than, better than, better than. Weapons of war, but then he turns a corner. But one sinner destroys much good. So now we're talking about the fool. Now we're talking about the sinner. Now we're talking about the person who's not walking wisely. And here's a picture. Dead flies, chapter 10, make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. That's, that's an interesting portrait. If you buy a perfume and you're like, oh, I heard about this. So-and-so wears this. She's an influencer, right? I'm going to try it. And then, and it smells horrible. And then you look inside and there's like a dead bug. And you're like, Ugh! one dead bug ruins the fragrance. That's the idea. Here's a picture of a fragrance. I, I don't know if it was a joke or what, but um, the Eden Project put out this fragrance called Titan, and they, they released an ad, and here's what they said. The Eden Project has announced it's making a unique new fragrance made from the world's worst-smelling flower. And uh, the corpse flower, which smells like a dead rat or rotting fish, has now been bottled and extracted and turned into a men's fragrance. They call it bold and going in a completely new direction. A spokesperson from the Eden Project said they've gone where no perfumer has gone before and created a scent from something as pungent as the death flower. It smells like death. That's one way of describing a fool's life. Wherever they go, it smells like, ugh. It means their conduct. It means their vocabulary. It means their, ugh. There. What is that? We've all opened the fridge right at the end of the pay period. You're about to go to Costco and you open the fridge and you're like, oh, oh, what is that? Unpleasant odor. 
And here's the thing, a little bit of folly, a little bit of folly. This is kind of a warning to the wise. Look, if you're walking wise and then things are getting crazy and you're like, well, I'm just going to go a little crazy. (laughs) I'm just going to do a few foolish things. I'm just going to say a couple of biting comments. It's like a dead bug in the perfume and it's going to be like, oh, don't do it. Don't even do a little folly, not even a little bit. Stay on the wise path. What is folly? Folly is when we defy or ignore God, disobey his commands, ignore common principles of virtue, live selfishly and refuse to change even when you blow up your life. Generally speaking, fools do foolish things. Here's a picture with a sign that's warning people what not to do. Do not grab Hamish by the horns. Guess what the fool is going to do? Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> We've all been foolish. We've all done it. But if you do it, you're going to pay the price. Proverbs 10.23 talks about the person who's committed to a life of folly. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The comparison here is you can be a wise person, one wrong comment, and you just blew it. That's how careful we have to be. One sinner in the bunch destroys much good. It just takes one bad apple on the team to ruin things. So don't be foolish because even in small doses, even in small quantities, folly can stink up your life. So don't do it. Verse 2, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. What this tells you is the more you go down the path of a fool, the more you are going to be on the road of a fool. You can't just stay there a little. You're, You're going to pick to the right or to the left. And if you choose folly, you're going to continue to choose folly. Verse 3, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Well, now there's a lot of folly. There was a little folly, right? There was a little folly, and it kind of smelled a little. And now this fool is telling everyone that he's a fool. That's what's going to happen to you and me. That's what's going to happen if we choose folly over wisdom. And some people do. Some people live foolish lives. Jot this down. Don't be foolish because a little folly causes big problems. Just a little folly causes really big problems. Hashtag Oscars. How many of you watch the Oscars? Any part of the Oscars? Do we have any Oscar-loving people in here? Show was going well. Lauren and I were making a college visit for Cassie. We were in the hotel room watching the Oscars. We hardly ever watched the Oscars. Then we saw it happen. Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada. And Will Smith got up, walked across in front of millions, and cracked Chris Rock right across the face, turned back, sat down. And everyone was like, was that planned? Was that planned? Lauren and I were like, was that planned? And then suddenly you see Will Smith talking very loudly, and you just hear like, beep, 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 beep. And we're like, oh no, this is not planned. He's very angry. Very angry. Turns out it was not planned. Will Smith lost his cool, got up there, and on live television at the Oscars, uh, created the Oscars' worst moment. He slapped Chris Rock on live TV. Now that was one moment in the entire production. What a fool. What a fool. And it is already blown up in his face, blown up in his life. The Academy is disciplining him. He had to opt out. And there's all of these people who are telling him how terrible he is. I mean, and he won Best Actor that night. It was supposed to be the top of his career, and one decision where he lost his cool showed everyone, listen, that he is a fool. He's a fool. 
and he can't go back and get that dead bug out of the perfume. He can't do it. There's nothing he can do. A little folly causes big problems. It's not the amount of folly that will hurt your life. Even a small drop can stain your life. It's not just one bad friend who you won't get in line. That one bad friend is all it takes to steer you down a bad path. One bad egg, one sinner with the group, suddenly the whole group is in big trouble. You probably have stories of that one friend who got you in really big trouble. It was just one friend. You got the whole group in trouble. The whole group. Jot this down. Because people won't trust or respect you. If you're foolish, people won't trust or respect you. Will Smith has been so disgraced right now. Removed from the academy, resigned from the academy. They're threatened to take his award away. People don't trust him. People don't respect him. When people see you're being foolish or shady or selfish, it diminishes their esteem for you. If you get someone else in big trouble, they'll be reluctant to bring your drama into their life again. People will just start treating you differently. And here's the thing. Life is so unpredictable, difficult, and harsh to begin with, folly makes it a thousand times worse. Life's already going to be hard. This is the flow here. The flow here is, look, Ecclesiastes 9.1.1, time and chance is going to happen to everybody. If you choose the wise path, you are going to save yourself from a lot of problems. Not all the problems, but a lot of it. You might not even be thanked if you save a lot of people from their problems. So what? Be wise. Because if you're foolish, just a little bit, just a little bit is going to stink up your life. And a lot of it is going to really ruin things. Do you see the flow? Do you see the flow? He's helping us to understand how to act here. And if you blow it, listen, humbly apologize, own it, say you're sorry, right? That's what you got to do. Jot this down. So be wise. So be wise. The flow is this. Life is uncertain and full of peril. Time changes everything. Chance creates many surprises. Misfortune ruins our expectations. So be wise. Because wisdom is better than power. Wisdom averts great disaster, even if you're not noticed or thanked. And don't be foolish, because a little folly causes big problems, because people won't trust or respect you. So be wise. Now, this whole section here in chapter 10, if you look at it, it's, it's all a wisdom section. So we're kind of pausing in verse 3, um, and then what's going to happen is, it's like dot, dot, dot. Remember the old TV programs that would say, continued next week, dot, 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 right? Uh, that's what's happening. This was foolproof part one, and we're going to have next week, we're going to have foolproof part two, where we continue to learn how to build wisdom principles into our life. But today what we're going to do to close out the sermon is we're actually going to prepare for communion together. Communion is actually a way for you to respond to what you've just heard in God's word in a variety of ways. And so we'll take communion together in a moment. But let me tell you what communion is all about and how it actually ties into what you just heard today. Jesus embodies wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Hebrews 1 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Jesus is the truth. So receiving Jesus is receiving the wisdom of God. 
Rejecting Jesus is rejecting the wisdom of God. It's the most foolish thing you could ever do. So, when we see that Jesus embodies wisdom, then we look to him when life doesn't make sense. Don't you see that God is not just aware of the problem of evil and suffering in the Bible? Don't you see that he has stepped down into it through his son? The Bible's not just telling you that time and chance will happen to everyone. Jesus lived it. He lived it. He was a man of sorrows. So we don't just have God telling us life's going to be hard. We have Jesus stepping into it, living it with us. God suffers. God suffers because of us. He suffers with us. And he suffers for us. He is a suffering God. And when we look at Jesus, we see Jesus actually being treated a lot more like that man who saved the city than Solomon. You know, when the wise men came to town, they didn't say, get this kid a crown, put him on the throne. They tried to kill him, rid the earth of him. Jesus endured suffering. He was poor. He lived in obscurity. He faced calamity, but he humbled himself. He submitted to the Father. He shared heaven's wisdom with the whole world, even if it would cost him his life. And the world rejected him. The world rejected him, threw him in a tomb, and tried to forget him. But on the third day, he rose again. Hey, on that cross, Jesus shows us what life is like. We actually have to take up our cross now, long before the world hurts us. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Are you ready for a life built on the wisdom of Jesus Christ? Not living by a rule book. It's not God taking all of your fun away. Uh, it's a relationship. Jesus is your Lord, your shepherd, your king. He died for you. You live with him. You live for him. Is that the life you want? Communion is the way that we show God that's the life we want. I want to give you a chance to pray right now on your own. And if you've never asked Jesus to be your savior, I want you to understand that we're about to take the bread, which represents Jesus' body broken for you on the cross. He died in your place. He was up there not to show the world a good example of virtue. He was up there to take away your penalty. He did that for you. And then the juice represents his blood, which was spilled for you. All of your guilt and your shame can go away. God will forgive everything you've ever done because Jesus shed his blood for you. He was the lamb without blemish because he was a perfect sacrifice. He can stand in your place, take your punishment, cleanse your sins, and promise you heaven forever. I want to give you a chance right now to pray, to either ask Jesus to save you or to thank him for saving you. And then wait, because I'll come back up here in a minute after we pray, and then we will take communion together. But go ahead right now and bow your heads, close your eyes, and take a moment to pray to Jesus.
Jesus, we thank you that you stepped down from heaven to earth. You shared the very wisdom of God. You heard in the Father's presence. You are the truth. You walked through this world, through the mighty Roman Empire, obscure, unknown. You walked away from fame. They tried to make you king once, and you walked away. Satan himself offered you all the kingdoms of the world. You turned him down. Remind us that we are strangers and aliens in this world. We're just passing through. We live for another. We live for you, and we live for your kingdom. Lord, time and chance will happen to us. And in the end, death will find us. But we know that whoever lives and believes in you will never die. Christians don't die. We simply blink, and then our faith becomes sight. Praise you for that hope. Lord, help us to walk all of our days through this uncertain world with, with an unwavering faith in you. Jesus, we set our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we thank you for dying on the cross for us. pray this in your name. Amen. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together and remember his sacrifice. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.